Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. A massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon, and of course, the Orma Baths team. Today's episode wouldn't exist without you. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media, get invitations to live podcasts, and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much, and really hope you enjoy today's show. Hi, I'm Sam Halliday, and you're listening to Best of Belfast. Perfect. <laughs> so like 1960s office <laughs> yeah well hopefully that'll work for you yeah no it should be grand and uh, if not i'm also recording the built-in so we've got plenty of fire insurance here so it should be grand lovely cool man well thanks so much for doing this really appreciate it oh yeah no it's a it's a pleasure and uh yeah i like to keep these just very kind of relaxed conversational and uh i always say to people it's not the nolan show we're just trying to make you look good so <laughs> don't worry cool cool <laughs> so the kind of place that we start off these interviews just to get a bit of context and see where the rabbit hole takes us is just do you have a first memory and if you do we'd absolutely love to hear it wow just in life yeah just in life (laughs) oh my goodness um i don't know I i find it hard to remember if they're actual memories or if they're just memories of me watching myself on like a home video <laughs> it's not the truth <laughs> I, well okay okay uh I, I remember going to disney world when i was about four and i got to meet the turtles and that was just the highlight of my life i peaked far too soon <laughs> what disneyland and what turtles like are we talking finding nemo turtles are you that would have been too oh no too late wouldn't it this is the teenage mutant Ninja Hero Turtles? Bro, I didn't know Turtles came under the, the Walt umbrella. <laughs> oh, I don't know either, actually. That's a fair point. <laughs> I don't know. We were in um, Orlando and it was raining and I think everyone was pretty upset um, with the rain and then the Turtles made an appearance. So maybe Walt had to had to bring in the reinforcements <laughs> maybe they just jumped, for the bad weather. Maybe they just jumped out of the sewer, man. You know what they're like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were you a fan of the show growing up? Oh yeah, yeah, that's my life. Unbelievable. Um, so yeah, uh, I wanted to be a turtle when I grew not up. Not to go, not to be like super buzzfeedy, but like, which <laughs> turtle are you? <laughs> yeah, we- weirdly, I always remember thinking Donatello was really cool, but now as an adult, I think he's the worst. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Maybe I just liked his little stick thing. Um, I always wonder, like, which turtles were in there for which demographic? Like, you know, was one turtle in for the parents? Was one turtle in for like the boy inside <laughs> all of us that loves farts and all that sort of stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unbelievable so yeah i mean if you've just jumped in thanks so much for being here we're sitting down today with uh, the one and only sam holiday from two-door cinema club really really excited to kind of find out more about sam really excited to hear kind of the origin stories we're talking about the turtles but the origin stories of the band <laughs> origin stories of him what he's been up to uh recently and honestly just to dive deep into the story of a real I'm going to say institution from Northern Ireland. That's a terrible way to phrase it, but that's what's in my head. And uh, yeah, we'll just kind of take it from there and see what happens. So Sam, where were you born and bred? Uh, I was born and bred in uh, Bangor, County Down. Glorious. The Vale of Angels. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. It's where 
all musicians from Northern Ireland seem to be from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is that, man? Like, is there something in the water or is it like, you know, the inspiration of the countryside? Like, <laughs> I think there's not much else to do but, but form a band, maybe. I don't know. Class. And so did you enjoy school growing up? Like, what subjects did you, did you enjoy any subjects at all? Like, was school your thing? Was school not your thing? Uh, yeah, no, I think I, I liked school because I was kind of good at it. Uh, then went went to the grammar school and met the rest of the guys from the band and I think we first formed a band when we were like 15 mm. and we formed Two Door Cinema Club when we were like 17 so kind of lower sixth in school I uh, suppose or whatever it's called now <laughs> year, year 13 <laughs> uh, I think that's right um, so the last couple of years of school I think we all were in the position that we thought we would love to just do it full time mm. so probably tried a bit less at school than we should have. Um, but what did I study? I studied math, geography and music, I think, in my last year of school. Wow. And what made you guys, like, I guess it's a silly question, but what made you guys actually start the first band and then why the rebrand of the band or why <laughs> why a new band? <laughs> um, yeah, I think the first one was very much like my parents went on holiday for a week and we got to set up in our garage and form a band one summer. Um, and that was just kind of what we did as pals. Um, we we stopped that band actually because the drummer uh, got a bit fed up of the, with the music, I think. It was, it was fairly terrible. Um, but it was very much, you know, us learning how to be in a band all together and still learning how to play the instruments. Yeah. Um, so we just played covers and stuff. We had a few of our own songs and yeah, the, the drummer had enough and left. <laughs> and then we formed Tudor Cinema Club pretty much straight after. Um, it was very much just like, we keep, we want to keep on making music together. Yeah. Uh, but with this time we didn't have a drummer, which led us to, uh, making backing tracks, uh, with <laughs> drum machines and stuff. So I think that sort of necessity to, uh, experiment with electronics sort of pushed us into a, a new world and, I think also the experience of the first band where it was sort of teenage emo rock music, yeah. I guess. Um, it was fairly self-indulgent in that sense. And uh, yeah, it wasn't very fun in reality playing shows to nobody um, or else it was just our pals who came along but hated it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we, we branched out a bit more into yeah pop music and just upbeat music that we thought people could uh, dance to and enjoy, not just uh, for our own benefit. That's awesome. Um, I have a whole kind of bunch of listener questions that people have sent in. I usually do them oh, wow. towards the end, but um, there's one that's just it's too relevant to kind of to, to save it. And it's uh, Jared. He writes in and he asks, um, if you could replace the back in the day synthetic drummer with a Premier League footballer, <laughs> who would you put on drums? <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh wow um, that's niche that's as niche as the turtles bro <laughs> yeah pretty strange um, I'd probably go with um, probably maybe Jack Grealish mm. he's got a he's got a, he's got a haircut that he could maybe be in a band <laughs> and uh, I don't know he's got big calves probably good for uh, bass drum <laughs> That kick pedal would be working double time. Yeah, I'm sure like footballers have some sort of rhythm as well. I mean, come on. Yeah, he looks quite uh, composed and, uh, you know, light on his feet. I'd imagine that, that probably goes hand in hand with rhythm. Unbelievable. So why the name Tudor? Um, yeah, it was, 
Oh my god, oh, making a band name is the worst. <laughs> I think it was the best of a bad bunch after like probably weeks of thinking of stuff. Um, but it's named after the Tudor Cinema in Cumber, I think. It's mm. like uh, people in Northern Ireland might be familiar with it. Um, but very much it's a guy's house, I think. Oh, wow. He, it's like a, he has a garage converted into like this really <laughs> awesome, uh, like, 1950s style cinema with like you know the red carpet on the walls and the lovely old chairs and uh yeah it's just a fun place that we went to one time and um i suggested the band name two-door cinema club and the guys were like that's cool yeah but why two-door cinema club and i was like oh you know after that cinema and cumber that we were at the other week and they were like oh it's the tudor cinema so then we changed the spelling of it. I love that. It's like rooted in a lot of Northern Irishism there because not only is it rooted in place, but it's rooted in the banter between mates as well, which is <laughs> the gold standard. Like, Yeah, I guess it's good to have some sort of name, uh, story to the name, you know. Absolutely. So, I mean, again, kind of taking us off track here, but um, are you guys big into films or was it literally just kind of let's pull this name out of the, the bunch that you said? Um, I, I don't think we were... Remember- more into films than other people our age know i I think probably since being in a band and having a lot of time in the back of a van (laughs) slash tour bus we've probably gotten more into films and tv and the like yeah any favorites man um still on the turtle game or i did watch the live action turtles movie. well let's hear the Uh, review man what do you think (laughs) well no i I was gonna say i watched the one from like the 90s oh yeah, yeah yeah Which is still incredible. Yeah, it's definitely. Those guys in those suits are phenomenal. Um, no, I, I did watch the, the the more recent one and it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, so. No, no. Uh, my favourite movie, like the one I sort of go to in times like this is always uh, Life is Beautiful. Mm. I, I love uh, that it's such a heartwarming movie, but yet so terribly sad all at the same time. Yeah. It's good for a little cry. Yeah, heartwarming but terribly sad. I love that. (laughs) Class, man. So what were some of your kind of early steps as a band? Like you guys are in Lower Sixth, you're starting the band, you're moving more into the kind of electronic sort of vibe. When did you start to pick up traction? Um, Traction. Um, Locally, the traction started... um, you know, we were back in the time of MySpace, mm. so we very much recorded songs as we wrote them, um, kind of just on, you, you know, sort of basic home studio equipment. Um, and yeah, I got our MySpace up and running with a couple of demos. And I think sort of being in the band before, there were a couple of people who were, you know, interested to see what we were up to. Yeah. So we had that sort of starting point, at least, uh, with local maybe promoters or other bands we were already sort of pally with. Um, so yeah, as soon as we got the songs up on MySpace, we did that whole thing of you know blindly messaging people and sending them <laughs> links to our MySpace and all. So um, the digital version of handing out flyers, I love it. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very, very, very spammy back in the day. Um, and yeah, we, we got our first few gigs in Belfast and stuff, and sort of just kept plugging away from 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 there. And uh, probably a year later, we released our first EP and uh, did a launch night in the spring and air break or limelight two i think it is now yeah. or limelight one i'm never sure um and yeah the money from that uh we went and bought a van which was like an old dog grooming van <laughs> uh with the three seats in the front and a big paw print on the side <laughs> um 
And then, yeah, we finished school and that September we went on a tour of the UK supporting a band that were like a one-hit wonder uh, called Igloo and Hartley. Wow. I mean, I don't even think people know who they are, but they had a big song on Radio 1 when we were doing the tour and it kind of all blew up for them there on that tour. So, um, yeah, we sort of reaped the rewards of, of that. Uh, and Yeah, very much playing our first shows outside of Northern Ireland and after the gig being out at the door as the crowd emptied, trying to flog our merch to, <laughs> to buy petrol money. You know. <laughs> Unbelievable. So what were some of those early tour days like i mean obviously it's it's very very different to the the kind of tours that you would put on now but like did you enjoy the experience like was it like you you fell in love with kind of the tour life right away do you even like the tour life you know i know a lot of people have kind of different opinions on it yeah i mean early days obviously you're you're so excited about it and you know you're, you 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 work a job at home to to pay for the couple of weeks that you're going away and we would uh stock up in Asda on like sandwiches <laughs> and tortilla chips and just like basic cheap food to get us going for a couple of weeks. Um, and and yeah, we would probably drive four hours a day, sleep in a, you know, uh, what are they called? I've, I've forgotten now. Travel lodges. Yes. We used to book 19 pound travel lodge rooms as soon as they were released. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> it was always the, the one on the wrong side of the motorway though. You know, it's always that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just get to the venue in time for sound check. Do that. Set up the merch stall. Grab some dinner in the venue, and yeah, play the show and keep driving. Unreal. So, what were some of your uh, your part time jobs to to fuel the gig in life in those days? Uh, I used to work in a summer school, which was like the good job. Uh, it was for like kids with cerebral palsy, and uh, that was really good fun. But then the more boring ones were like handing out flyers in Lurgan to tell people <laughs> their water was being turned off or doing call center shifts for like they called them pillar events you know like a big boxing match and you'd uh, have to yeah, go yeah. in and answer the phone calls of people wondering why the channel had switched off just before <laughs> the fight uh so yeah and uh, there was another one of uh proof checking cds oh, bro. uh for you know like uh French oral exams. Yes. Oh my like goodness. Check all the CDs. So that was that was particularly dull. Mental. And were, did you study beyond kind of your A levels? No. No. Just just in life. <laughs> Why is your favorite book The Power of the Dog? Oh yes. Uh, I really. Whenever you asked, and I was like, Oh no. Oh no. He's going to bring a, it up. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not a massive reader, and I I try to resist the urge to go for. Uh, an Ernest Hemingway or something like that. Mm. I just went for something that I read a couple of years ago <laughs> on holiday and thought was class. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, I struggle to read apart from when I'm on holiday. Um, so it's it was a good page turner and uh, it's, it's part of a trilogy, a bit of an epic about uh, drugs and warlords and the like. So it was, yeah, it's pretty good. Unbelievable. Um, Modern day Godfather. Oh, that's a good sell. That's a good strap line for it. <laughs> I think, yeah, there's probably probably someone already else done that. But yeah. That's class. So when did you start to transition out of the part time and think about taking music full time? I, I don't really know, to be honest. It just sort of we, we were lucky in that we always kind of had momentum mm. on our side. Um like we did that first tour and then we sort of talked with a record label in France about releasing a single and uh, that went well and 
we did, you know, a European tour based off that, doing their club nights. Wow. Um, and then we were ready to record an album. Nobody was really ready to release it, but <laughs> the, the French label agreed to, to do it for us, and uh, we released it. And the shows were just going really well for us. Like, we, we've always sort of judged our our sort of success, I suppose, based on cr- crowds and, and the live show. Mm. Um in the early days, we were never really played on mainstream radio. Um, so the first year probably of us releasing our album was was very much just us sort of touring it and, you know, playing those club nights and supporting bands and getting our name out that way. No real press seemed to be too bothered about us. Um, and then all of a sudden, Radio 1 played uh, one of our songs. Wow. Um and that's whenever sort of the enemy started to write about us. But it was kind of like a good year after we'd released the album, like to the point where we thought, should we just go and record another one? You know, this isn't really working yeah. in terms of the press coverage and all. So, um, yeah, it just meant that we had to start the whole campaign over again um, <laughs> with this fresh momentum, um, which is why there's probably two or three years between the first and second albums. Yeah. And what have kind of like subsequent albums been like? Do you find that, you know, you put an album out and there is kind of that delay of you having to put a lot of groundwork before it gets traction or have you had different experiences with your different albums? Um, no, for sure. It's definitely changed over the years. I think we, we've sort of been, I don't know if it's lucky or it's just been interesting that the music industry has changed so much the whole time that we've been a band. Like our first release was back whenever people... You know, we were worried about people uh, leaking it on LimeWire. LimeWire, yeah. yeah. Uh, which now seems so old, and you know, it's obviously not a worry, which is great. Um, and you still had people downloading on iTunes, and you still had people buying CDs. Um, so we've sort of gone through that whole change. Um, whereas now it's very much just all streaming on Spotify, yeah. and for some reason now cassettes are a thing so um Ooh. it's yeah it's been weird we've seen it all come full circle yeah absolutely and, uh, yeah very much so whenever we did our first few albums it was based around like six months of upfront you know teasing and touring and promoting and now it seems a lot more streamlined yeah um less yeah less delay from recording to release i suppose that's cool this is a completely random question i was thinking about this the other day and it's funny you brought up limewire and I say this yeah. is a complete outsider of the music industry, but I kind of had this thought. I was like, how different really is streaming on Spotify to like downloading something on LimeWire? And what I mean is like, it's not like the artists are getting a massive paycheck from all these Spotify streams. Do you know what I mean? Like both of them almost yeah. acted as like exposure vehicles. And I say that as a complete ignorant person whenever it comes to how the music industry works. Yeah. Um, I think it's, getting a lot better for streaming like uh i think a lot of times when people complain about not getting money from spotify it's because of the the way their record deal is structured Ah. um i think a lot of people like maybe older bands who you know signed record deals before streaming was really a platform that you had to worry about like maybe you're talking like back in the day when it was i don't i don't know like a very small percentage anyway um maybe just like your mobile phone you could stream stuff on or something. I don't really know, like a ringtone maybe fell under that <laughs> digital streaming yeah. platform or something. Whereas now it's like bigger than anything. And uh, yeah, I guess the sort of deals you negotiate with the record label depend very much on what cut you get of those streams. Gotcha. But there is money there is money out there 
for streaming for sure okay. and yeah it's it's good nice. <laughs> for, for you know it's good to know i think for people awesome especially times like this uh the streams will come in handy i suppose yeah yeah for sure absolutely so why the french connection because i like when i was kind of like you know having a wee poke around on the internet i was like this from my perspective seems like a kind of a random thing to do to go with the french record label what how did that come about yeah uh i guess it is pretty weird um I think probably being from, you know, from Bangor, even like signing with a record label in London seemed mad. Yeah. So it, it didn't seem totally bizarre at the time. Um, but yeah, just nobody else was really interested. And uh, the the label Kitsune were very much um, into doing single releases. They were a sort of smaller record label. They had a really popular... A compilation album that they brought out maybe twice a year um, and it, it was kind of the equivalent of maybe like a Spotify New Music Friday playlist mm. or something for all of the younger listeners out there <laughs> they don't know what a compilation CD is uh, but yeah it was very much like a great way I guess to to jump on board a whole fan base that already existed for that sort of music um, so yeah uh, we did a single with them and it went really well. They're really cool guys. And um, the rest is history, I suppose. Unbelievable. So how did you kind of deal with the, would you say like, to, I, like to use the word fame, which I'm, I you know, don't know how you feel about that word, but how did you deal with the, either the slow progression or the fast progression into the spotlight? Like how did you experience it? Did it feel slow and gradual or did it kind of feel all of a sudden? Like, could you look at one moment and say, this is whenever we became the like the huge band that we are today or was it more of a gradual build-up i think i think luckily it was a gradual build-up um you know we were super comfortable playing live shows before there was anybody there to see us like play a show like i would totally stress out and panic and don't know how younger artists do it who just release a song and yeah. have to go and play arenas straight away uh, yeah <laughs> like the first time we played glastonbury we we played like five shows in a weekend in just like tents and stuff that don't even make the poster. Do you know? Yeah. And then the next year we played a, 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 the other stage at like 11 a.m. There was <laughs> some people there. So I think like we've just always done the sort of progression and been eased into things, luckily. That's awesome. I have a uh, question here from Emma. Cool. Hi Sam, Emma here. Just wondering if there's any gigs for you that have been stand out as one of your favourite or our most memorable, and why? Oh, I didn't expect to hear Emma's voice. Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, wow, so high tech. We're high tech here in the garden shed. Don't worry about it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the first time I got to see the Strokes play was probably like one of the most memorable ones. Um, we were doing a festival in Australia. And it was just around the time they sort of came back in probably like 2012. Mm. I think they'd had a good few years off. And um, yeah, I think it was just like, you know, probably we were in Australia for maybe one of the first times and at this cool festival and a band that was, you know, very important for us as teenagers playing, playing all the hits. Um, yeah, just all the sort of stars aligned, I guess, for that one. So um, cool. But yeah, yeah, it's quite a few, I think, that are standout but yeah that was probably one uh sort of like a loose follow-up to that uh claire from hong kong she writes in she asks what venue holds the most standout memory for you personally that you guys have played in 
boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a venue in uh, Oakland, just outside San Francisco, um, called the Fox Theatre. And we always uh, joke about it being just the best venue in the world because the backstage is really nice. <laughs> and they've, they've always got really nice catering and a little barista. Wow, it's the little um, things, man. Check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's really nice. Nice showers, like 10 out of 10 showers. Um, but yeah, it's also just a really lovely old theatre that had a multi-million dollar renovation. Um, but one of the, yeah, a memory there is is uh, one time we played it and uh, the drummer from Metallica came. Bro. Uh, but he came because his son was a fan, which happens to us a lot. It's It's never like the, <laughs> you know, the famous person. It's always like their girlfriend Elton John's second cousin <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah that was fun he came in like 10 minutes before showtime and you know when you're like you you're in a band like you yeah. know this is a terrible time to do this but I love that you've just done it <laughs> uh and yeah all of our crew and all were obviously like mad for meeting him and stuff as well so I think we probably had to push backstage time that night um <laughs> But yeah, he's it was he was pretty nice and it was cool because I think we'd watched that documentary where he comes across so terribly, yeah. the some kind of monster one, and it was uh, nice that he was you know at least pretty sound to us anyway. Yeah, human being. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think all the nerves were running a bit higher that night, and uh, in particular there was one song I started uh, on the guitar and we had to restart the song three times. And I just wanted the ground to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> it, was t- it was terrible <laughs> pressure how much practicing do you have to put in like to try to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen i suppose no matter what you do it's going to happen anyway but uh do, yeah. do you find like it's got better over the years or does it just happen kind of like sporadically <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sporadically i think it, it happened it, uh, I, I think the nerves are higher now than when we were younger yeah. Because well maybe because all those things have happened before and you know how terrible it can be when something goes wrong. Um, but yeah, no, we're professionals. It, it never happens. <laughs> if you had any, if there was like a like a venue manager listening or like anyone who's involved in like the booking and the management of uh, like gigs, what advice would you give to them as a musician of how to like make your experience better like uh, th- what you were saying about that oakland theater i just thought was really interesting <laughs> <laughs> this is whenever i sound uh, really ungrateful about everything uh, and complain about the tiniest things um a big thing is like so you know bands obviously have a rider that they request mm. in advance uh which you know there's lots of myths about what's yeah. on there and things <laughs> but uh one of the sort of stipulations at the bottom would be you know make sure this is here first thing in the morning mm. on arrival um and a lot of times you get to a venue and, and the person is like oh i haven't got the rider yet i'm just going to go out now but you know i just wanted to check if if that's what you wanted okay wow. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it definitely is that's why we sent it weeks in advance yeah, um, yeah. but it's just you know if you've you've arrived on a tour bus the night before i think the, the big thing we've realized as we've gotten older is that you have to try and treat it like routine and as as normal as close to normal life as possible. Otherwise, it is just insane. And I don't, I don't know, the jump back to reality is too difficult or something. Yeah. But it's just like you want to wake up and just go in and have some breakfast and get about, go on with your day, you know. But if you go into a venue, there's literally no food there, not even a you know coffee or anything. Mm. It just like puts off the whole day, puts it all out of whack. Totally. 
it's just small things like that. Just have the rider there. Even just have the bits that you think sound like breakfast. <laughs> so what's your uh, your go-to rider breakfast then? Uh, we we have a, we have a little egg cooker that we bring with us. Oh, yeah. you know, one of those ones that you plug in, it just like boils it. Yeah. So I'd probably just plug in that and have boiled egg and a bit of toast or some porridge or something. Nice one. Just the simple yeah. things, like you said, the, the ordinary <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, try and bring as much of that to the crazy world of touring as possible. So awesome. Here is uh, Carol from Bangor. Hi, Matthew. It's Carol from Young Enterprise here. Uh, my son, Ben, saw um, the guys at Ward Park 3 with all of us as his first concert. And uh, as Bangor Grammar Boy, loved it. So I was wondering, when you were at school, did you plan to become a world famous pop star or did you have a few other thoughts in mind <laughs> um there probably should have been more planning went into it really <laughs> we went in, we went into the whole thing so like naively and uh you know luckily our family sort of supported that enough to make it happen um but it was very much a year out for us early on um like, you know, we didn't really know if it was going to work. We were super excited and keen to give it a go. Um, but yeah, like we all sort of had deferred places to various universities for things. Um, so I think it would have been a really difficult conversation if we didn't have so much sort of going on after that first year of leaving school. You know, we were very much on tour a lot of that year and we had plans to go in and record an album and stuff. So um, I think if we were at home a lot more with not much to do, I think we would have pr probably had to just go and go to university yeah. and do it as a hobby. Mm. So music aside, what career do you think you would have gone down or what career would you have liked to have gone down? Um, I, I really didn't know. I was going to go to Glasgow University to study geography and maths because I was very indecisive about what to do. So... <laughs> Someone just said, just pick your best subjects and do that. Yeah. So um, who knows what I would have done with that? I maybe would have just, I don't know, probably went and studied something else after that. Um, yeah, who knows? Unreal. So what do you do whenever you're not gigging and whenever you're not recording? Like what does kind of like life look like for you? Like is there any kind of hobbies? Do you try to use that time just to you know lay low, catch up on sleep, get ready for the next kind of big wave of energy? Or what does kind of life outside of music look like for you? Um, I love my cooking and uh, I think probably that is from so many years of traveling and eating lots of nice food mm. and uh, not maybe being able to necessarily get it on my doorstep so you have to just make it yourself um, so what's the uh the quarantine recipe that you'd like to share with us <laughs> <laughs> um gosh i don't know i uh i ran out of my taco flour the no. other day so i know so i think it's sold out online as well so i'm gutted about that um yeah i, I don't know I, i'm pretty keen for like making up some pizzas as well mm. um yeah, I, d I don't know. I, I, I've gotten really, I'm like a child. I've gotten really into watching cooking videos on YouTube. Oh, man, I love it. <laughs> Just like, yeah, it's like, yeah, pretty sad. But apart from that, um, I play football uh, for like a local team. Oh, I was really, really excited about not being on tour uh, 
this time of year so we could finish the season oh, because man. usually I have to like miss like the majority of the matches yeah. for gigs. Um, which, you know, people think, oh, per you. But uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, massive hobby for me. So I, I was really excited about being around to play like this, this season. Yeah. And then all of this has kicked off and everything's been cancelled. So uh, I just, yeah, spend my days training as if I'm going to be a professional footballer one day. <laughs> <laughs> Never give up. there to dream, bro. <laughs> I know, that's it. What position do you play? I, I play midfield. Nice. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um <laughs> Another question written in here. Uh, they ask, if you could support or have them support you, which band would you love to go on tour with, either dead or alive? Um, wow. Uh, I'd probably pick someone massive just to see what that next sort of level is like. Mm. Um, probably like the Rolling Stones. That's probably as big as it gets. Wow or you 2 or someone like that. Not because I'm particularly interested in watching their shows, but I think just the mechanics of that sort of production w- would be so fascinating to me and like what they tour with. Because you always hear, you know, they've got 32 trucks and all that sort of stuff. That's all you hear from <laughs> the folklore, like yeah. <laughs> tech guys, you know. Like our production manager would talk about some tour and he'd be like, oh, it was 14 trucks. And, you know, we've, we've, maybe, we've maybe had like three yeah, trucks yeah, yeah. at like yeah. at like an O2 London show which for us is like whoa like what are they putting in those trucks so I, I, yeah I'd love to see that because I always hear stories of like oh he tours with his own running track you know <laughs> stuff like that you think what <laughs> how so, so I'd be intrigued just to see that just cool so I mean I, I, I'm surprised to hear you say you know uh, like use words like you know to the next level like I look at you guys and I think, you know, you guys have, you've done it, you've crushed it, you've nailed it. But what do you, or what are you hopeful for, like for the future? Like what's left for you to do that you really would like to do other than continue to to do what you're doing and making new music? Yeah, I think balance probably is the thing just as we get a bit older and, you know, realize there's a bit more to life than being in a band. I think like we hit it super hard the first probably... (laughs) 10 years of being in a band <laughs> up to now uh, but yeah I think the sort of benefits of being in the position we're in where we have sort of grown the, the live show and it's sort of planned to more people and stuff now like you can kind of afford to have a bit more time off and mm. not you know gig every night uh, it's like we would be away on tour maybe 8 or 9 months of the year you know like, like back in the you know the heyday uh, so yeah I think just trying to balance it more um, would be the, the ideal it's cool this is uh, a bit more of a heavy hitting question but this comes from <laughs> Aidan <laughs> okay hi Sam Aidan Malone here uh, big fan of the music you guys do and you know fair play to for your success so far um, just a question in the wake of COVID-19 and obviously a lot of live gigs have been cancelled around the world do you see that as a change as an artist you know for the foreseeable future um and what do you think um will replace it if anything or you know what are you doing or thinking of as a band to you know pivot to a new kind of way of things post COVID-19 assuming that maybe live gigs are going to be changed irrevocably thanks 
Oh, Aiden always brings out the big guns. Yeah, <laughs> he's in, no, he's infamous for it at this point. <laughs> Thanks, Aiden. All right. Yeah, no, it's such a weird time. Um, I don't think anything can really replace like going to a live show mm. um, in the current climate. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we very much have had to pos- postpone slash cancel a lot of stuff already. Um, starting from like May, we were due to do our first shows, I think. Um, so a lot of those have been pushed back, obviously, for good reason. Um, and yeah, try not to think too far ahead. Like for, for us, we had a pretty busy summer planned and, uh, you know, I, no one really knows at this stage what's going to happen. Um, we'll probably just have to do them next year. I don't know. Um, but I th- I don't think anything really replaces that feeling of going and, mm. you know, letting go at a live show surrounded by all your pals and... I think I'm just really excited to to play shows whenever they do come back because yeah. I think people will have so much more appreciation for being able to go out Definitely. and have fun. And yeah, that sort of mm. excitement of looking forward to that is getting me going. It's class, man. <laughs> getting me through this. So good. Um, there's a few kind of like, there's five or six kind of stock questions we ask every single person we have the chance of chatting to. The, f- okay. the first one's the hardest one, okay? So just to, mm. just to forewarn you, uh, cool. not as hard as Aiden's question, but... <laughs> out of all of the, your um experience so far is there like one moment that you look back on as your most successful uh hmm uh i don't know we, we won an award once um, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that's a pretty fun story we we we, we were invited to an mtv awards uh, when was that? Probably in like 2010 or something. Mm. And I think it was in Austin, Texas, then sort of around the time of uh, that big festival that happens there. Um, uh, South by Southwest, that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Sorry. I shouldn't have. Uh, South by Southwest. Um, it was around then and uh, it was our first time at like a big MTV event you know, with all the sort of video production and mm. MTV lights and celebrities and things. Um, and I remember the Foo Fighters were playing and Dave Grohl was there to be honoured for something. Uh, so it was all very exciting for us as a young band. And uh, we won their Breaking Woody Award. Wow. Uh, it was like as like a Breaking Band Award. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was probably probably off the back of being shunned by media for so, totally. for so long uh, that it, it felt great to be sort of recognized, especially uh, somewhere like in America, you know, uh, by something that you grew up with, you know, MTV Awards and all that. So, um, yeah, that was pretty fun. Uh, I, I don't know. That's the first thing I could think of there. Totally, man. So, Mate, we'll take it. It's great. Good story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, flip side of that, how about the, the greatest challenge and you don't mind sharing how are we able to overcome that um yeah we had a couple of years off uh between like oh gosh uh 20 2013 and 2015 maybe uh i'm terrible with dates it doesn't matter anymore. yeah <laughs> <laughs> we had a couple of years off uh just after the intense touring of the first two albums and not having a life outside of being a guy in a band um you know couple of the guys in the band suffered from depression and mm. uh struggled with you know coping just with not being on tour yeah. and not 
you know, yeah, being in a band every day. Um, and yeah, we, we probably thought that was it at that point. Um, but yeah, we worked through it. We'd sort of all fallen out with each other, uh, <laughs> living in each other's back pockets every day. Uh, you know, I always think like nobody is really like seeing everyone from like every day of your life, seeing someone from high school. Yeah. It's like kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> but uh, especially if you have to like be in a business with them and <laughs> be creative with them. Um, so I think it's, you know, pretty normal to react that way. Um but yeah, we sort of, we talked through it. And I think as, as young guys, communication just was something that we really struggled with. Like just saying, you know, I'm struggling with this. Like, let's maybe say no to this tour. Yeah. You know, I, I just need a minute to, you know, be at home and do, do other stuff and have some time to, for me. Um, so yeah, I think now it's like so important for us to try and not just be defined by the band and have other stuff going on and treat it more a job as a job in that sense. Uh, where you know you come home from it and you clock off so to say mm. um where am i yes so yeah we, we talked through it and i think what we realized is just we're all different people we all have different wants for this and that's fine and and nobody wants to for for anyone else in this to be unhappy and i think just hearing that and understanding that's where at the end of the day that's where we all were i think was important and yeah we sort of were able to get back on track i guess with the band which is good it's awesome yeah uh series of kind of <laughs> much lighter quick fire questions here okay. um where's your favorite place in northern ireland to get a takeaway uh, um <laughs> i'm probably gonna go nostalgic and go for piccolo pizza and banger oh yeah love it man was there a yeah. go-to pizza? Like, what do you like on your pizza? As a maker of pizza, as we have learned today. <laughs> uh, back in the day, it was very much, I think it's the polo with kebab sauce, which was oh. uh, shredded chicken and ham <laughs> <laughs> and kebab sauce. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Italians are are, are, are screaming at the <laughs> radio now. But yeah. Um, Favourite place to get ice cream in Northern Ireland? Uh there's only two places, isn't there? There's mods and <laughs> uh, I'm shocking at this. Sorry, uh, Al Gelato. Let's go for that. That's the local yeah, one. That's awesome, man. I I, I really like them. They're uh, they're up and coming, man. They're doing really really class things. Yes, no, very good. Tasty, very tasty good stuff. Cream. Shout out to them. <laughs> yeah, low key sponsor for this episode. Thanks, Al Gelato. Really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland out for a coffee or out for a pint, either dead or alive, who would you take? Where would you take them and why? Um, yeah, it's hard not to say George Best out for a pint. That would be bad. Let hmm. me take George Best out for a coffee. Awesome. We're, I think just hearing about him play for Man United and, you know, European Cup nights and all that sort of stuff just would be interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Where would you take him? For a cup of coffee, mm. um, probably just go to established. <laughs> awesome! I'd love to see George yeah. Best and established. That would be a great video. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so, mate, the the question we always kind of end these interviews with it's huh? uh it's a bit of a cliche, but I just love it so much, and you can't break the tradition now. Uh, if you could go back in a time machine and you know have a couple of minutes of time with the eighteen year old version of yourself. 
what sort of advice or what sort of things would you say to him? Ooh, um, I would say probably, you know, don't be as scared. You have a right to be here as much as anybody else. And, you know, just be nice. People are nice. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think for a long time, I think maybe because we started out quite young, being at festivals and things with older bands and things, they were very much just like, we were quite timid and I don't know. I think just you realize as you get older, like people are nice and open to chat and, you know, put the ball in their court, go and say hello first and, you know. Awesome. Well, Sam, yeah. thanks so much for your time today, dude. Really, really appreciate oh, it. Oh, yeah, pleasure. Yeah. And uh, especially for hopping on the, I was going to say hopping on the phone, but hopping on this virtual recording software solution. <laughs> oh, I yeah, really, no. really appreciate it, especially thanks for during this time. So, and uh, thank you very much for listening. Really, really appreciate you uh taking the time to hang out with us really appreciate you making it through to the end and if you would like to check out over 120 interviews with incredible people like sam from northern ireland you can head to bestbelfast.org other than that thanks again for listening uh stay safe and looking forward to catching you next time cheers class hi guys i'm rob and i'm from queensland and i'm a proud member of the best of belfast producers club i listen to the podcast for a number of reasons i love belfast northern ireland and the country and the people in it I have a connection with Northern Ireland as our family came to Australia in the 1800s from the beautiful county of Fermanagh. I love what's going on in Belfast, the entrepreneurs, the innovation, the technology and the spirit. My favourite podcast is definitely the Tim Brundle episode, although I do have many other favourites. I support the podcast financially because I believe that quality work deserves fair financial support. It's important that we continue to hear about the amazing people of Northern Ireland and what they are achieving. So if you've been sitting on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you would really miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, as I would, I highly recommend considering joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.